0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Exodus chapter number 20. My voice is just a little weak today. We've been screaming and hollering and All that stuff and pray and at uh, a National Youth Convention this past week. But the Lord will help us today. Thankful for those who from this church have went. Some came up, uh, the Malones and the Penrods and different ones came up. Amen. To be a part of a few services and such. Had good time. Amen. At NYC. Preaching was good. All the sessions were good. Uh, Addie that came with my daughter, Mariah, her friend, she got the Holy Ghost at conference. And so, we're thankful, Amen, for those different things, Amen. It's reason to rejoice, Hallelujah. Exodus chapter number twenty. That may sound like a familiar chapter to some. It is one of the places in the Bible where uh, the scriptures are enlisted, as as the commandments are enlisted in the Bible, Amen. I want to just read though uh, the first two verses that precede. Uh, Where those are given you, you can find the commandments in Exodus. You find them also, I believe, in Deuteronomy as well. But I want to read the first two verses of Exodus chapter number 20 uh, that the Lord prefaces all of those with the Bible says, and God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord, thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house a bondage. He says, I am the Lord thy God. Real simple today. I just want to teach today this. The Lord, your God, the Lord, your God. Hallelujah. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we come to you today and we need Lord Jesus, your help. God, in this place this morning, open our minds and our understanding. I pray, oh, Lord, that you're able to direct us, Lord. You're able to guide us, Lord Jesus, today. God, let your word, God, become alive into our individual lives. I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, truths, Lord, that can be, Lord Jesus, shared, God, from there. Lord, direction, God, that can be offered from there. Lord, we will not fail to thank you, Jesus, God, for it is, Lord, Quick and it is powerful and able to do that which it was sent to accomplish in our lives. God, we accept it as so in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. You may be seated today. The Lord your God. Amen. The Lord your God. In the American society in which we live. Uh, Today and not probably even today, but now for several uh, generations, but it becomes uh, more evident today perhaps than any other generation. And that is there are no moral absolutes. The mindset and the idea of there being anything that is per se absolute seems to be uh, slowly dissolving and dwindling away. Everything is up for a vote. Everything is up for opinion. There are no moral absolutes absolutes we got to ask ourselves even how many times that we have we've heard statements like you know what's right for me uh, may not be right for you or you know those type of things if it feels good you know do it has been a popular slogan uh, over time anything goes there's nothing truly right there's nothing truly wrong there's just a difference of opinions just a difference of perspective or how you see things. And all of this is the result of the feeling that there are no absolute truths. There's no absolutes. And so uh, as as a society like that, everybody stands in their own corner. And so they're entitled to their truth. I'm entitled to my truth. And we're all good with that because there is no absolute truth. And so that is the mindset then, of, of modern day society. But one day, according to the scripture, uh, Jesus called a man to follow him. This is in the New Testament. And the man basically responded to the Lord. He said, Lord, I know you're calling, and I'm paraphrasing here, okay. Lord, I I know that you're calling me to follow you. Uh, But the man basically said, Lord, allow me first. And he begins to give these different things, these different scenarios. Let, let one had, had bought a yoke of auction and he wanted to go prove them first. Another man had had married a woman and he wanted to take a year and be with her first. We had all these different things that that these men begin to say, Allow me first to do this and to do that. And so and I've preached before, I think a sermon or a lesson on me first, because, again, that paints where we are as a society. It's about me first, and it kind of tongue and grooves with the idea of there being no moral absolutes. And so uh, because moral absolutes challenge me. Challenge me. Uh, I say a recent poll, but it's probably been a few years age now. A poll was found that 67% of Americans do not believe in moral Absolutes, so that, that, that's over half. As a matter of fact, among the generation that's known as the baby busters, those that are born between 1965 and 1983, the, the percentage was even higher at 78%. Even 62% of professing, quote-unquote, Christians said that there was no absolute standard of right or wrong. Now, folks, that blows my mind. Because you you have then just, you know, a statistic for the whole world, 67%. But then you kind of hone in and you narrow the field on those that testify or proclaim Christian or Christianity. And 62% of them say that there's no absolute standard of this being right or that being wrong. So we do have a major dilemma on our hands. Uh, Be the church of the living God. Uh, it was one of our presidents, the fourth president of the United States, James Madison. He even said this. He said, we stake the future of this country. He says on our ability to govern ourselves. He said under the principles of the commandments that was given by Moses. Amen. And so that was our fourth president. <laughs> I don't know what you if you were to take a poll of maybe some of the more recent ones uh, where they would where they would stand. But again, my two verses of scripture comes before those commandments uh, that you have seen planted in people's yards and and put uh, publicly display at times in history gone by along our courthouses, so on and so forth. But again, I think it's important to understand that these things, the commandments of the Old Testament, the 10 and the all the others that are beyond the 10 that's listed in the Bible. They are not so much a set of of rules and regulations, uh, you know, that are for every situation. It's not so much that they are that if that's the case, there would be a whole lot more than just the ones that are written scripture that would be needed. If you were to write a manual for any job of every in and out, every detail that was required, the manual would be bigger than, you know, those three pound family Bibles you have on your coffee tables. It's just no way. Possible, there, you wouldn't be able to even to carry it. But the idea is, this is within the commands. There is a basic idea that is relayed with each command uh, that hopefully can be used in our lives in various situations. All right. Whenever we look at the commands of the Old Testament concerning per se the ten, uh, these ten commandments find themselves under the division of the law that was considered to be the moral law of. Israel. And what that meant is this. It dealt with the relationship between what was right and what was wrong, what was right and what was wrong. And here's the thing. Moral laws from the Old Testament to the New Testament did not change. Moral laws saying what was right or what was wrong from old to new. It did not change for that matter from New Testament to our modern day. They do not change. Change. There are other laws in the Old Testament, such as ceremonial laws, how how sacrifices ought to be brought, so on and so forth, or civil laws uh, concerning other things. Those things over time have altered. Those things over time have changed. They were, if you will, according to the scripture, the Bible says that Jesus didn't come to do away with the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And so when we talk about ceremonial laws like uh, the, the, the requirement of what type of sacrifice, what type of animal it should be, how old it should be, so on and so forth in the Old Testament all of those little details concerning the type and what and how old in order for it to be brought for a sin offering or or an offering for this or that, all of that was important back then. But in the New Testament Scripture, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary did away with all of the previous sacrifices of rams and goats and things of that. He came to fulfill it. He fulfilled it in his sacrifice upon uh, the tree. And so many, if not most, of all those ceremonial things were abolished. They're done with through and by the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary. And a lot of the civil laws went away, too. But there's still a set of laws, the moral laws, about what was right and what was wrong that did not, it was not done away with. But it still is in existence even yet for us today. The Bible says in Hebrews 9 and verse number 12, it says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, speaking of Jesus Christ, by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. There are means and way in the Old Testament were going through certain ceremonial factors in order to, you know, allow a high priest even to enter in in their stead, uh, for them into the presence of the Lord. But Christ says, "I now have entered in as the high priest and as the sacrifice." He says, "In order to give for you all eternal redemption, redemption that can be yours." Can someone say, "Amen"? And so when we look at the moral law that we are probably most acquainted with, that's recorded on tables of stone in the Old Testament, we see that the flavor of their meaning is found uh, before they even ever uh, materialized as they are now. Uh, Their flavor was even found before they were ever issued upon 10 commandments on two tablets of stone as Moses brought them down. They were already in existence, though not written out, they were still there because in the very beginning of the Bible, the very beginning of the Bible, when you see Adam and Eve and Eve looked upon the fruit of the tree and she desired it and she took it and she ate it, there was already there was already a commandment of morality that was being broken there. She was coveting what was on the tree. She was already, she was breaking what would become known as the 10th commandment. She was already coveting that which was upon the tree to her ruin. Amen. And the Lord, note now, the Lord had already told him, do not eat of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now he didn't write a bunch of commandments down, but there was already a moral law that was set in place from the beginning. And she coveted, she saw it, she desired it, she partook of it, and in essence, she broke the tenth commandment before the tenth commandment was ever in existence in written format. Amen. And, and, and for that matter, when we look at the sons, of, when we look at the sons of, of Noah, amen. We read how Ham dishonored his father. He looked upon his father's nakedness. Remember, his father was uh, uncovered in the tent, the Bible says. Two of the boys, uh, Shem and Jake, but they walked in backwards with a garment on their shoulders to place it over their dad because they didn't want to dishonor him. He's laying there in his his tent naked, but the Bible says Ham goes in there. He dishonors his father, uh, almost thinks it's somewhat comical that dad is found in that type of way. And before it's ever written in stone, Ham has already taken and broken the, the fifth commandment because he did not honor his mother and his father. He dishonored his father by doing what he did in that instance, and he's cursed as a result of it. So there was a a perceivable right or wrong done in what happened because the man got a curse as a result of it. Cain kills Abel, right? Eighth commandment that would come to be known on, on, boom, he killed somebody and he's punished. So there's a moral right or wrong that was transgressed. Amen, because it has a punishment attached with it whenever it is broken, right? The Sodomites, the Sodomites in in, in the, in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the Sodomites, they are committing adultery. Huh? Sixth commandment before it's ever written out, so to speak. Sixth commandment. Yet that whole city and area is destroyed with fire and brimstone. There's a consequence as a result. So there are some moral rights and wrongs That were already in existence, although they may have never even been written out on tables of stone yet. Uh, We may have noted it. I know we've noted it before. But when we look at Joseph in the closing chapters of the book of Genesis, remember, uh, whenever he was under, he was he was Potiphar's uh, right hand man. He was still yet functioning as a slave, but he was kind of the head of his household. And and Potiphar told him, said, you can have anything in the house, anything of it. It all belongs to you. It's under your care, except for his wife, of course. And his wife tried to seduce him. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him day by day. Amen. And Joseph abstained from committing adultery with her, from breaking that commandment uh, before, again, it was ever written out in stone. And yet he was honored. Amen. Honored for doing so. And so what I want us to understand today, that there, 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 are these, these, there are principles of moral rights and wrongs before we ever even had them in written format upon tables of stone. Consider, if you will, even what Joseph said in Genesis 39 and verse 9. He said, There is none greater in this house than I. He's serving in Potiphar's house. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. He's talking to Potiphar's wife. He's not held anything back from me except you. He said, because thou art his wife. He said, how then can I do this great wickedness? How can I lay with you? How can I commit adultery with you? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? In Joseph's mind, there was a moral right and wrong with taking another man's wife. It was absolute to him. As a matter of fact, in each of these, where there was either a curse or blessing based upon how a person interacted in the moment, huh? there was an absolute yes, you should, or no, you shouldn't. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. So when we come to verse number 1 of Exodus 20, it begins by informing us that these commandments were not indirectly given to the Israelites, but were spoken by... God directly, because it says, and God spake all these words, saying God spake all these words. These were given by the Lord. We, 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 we thus have one of the few. Uh, I know we don't have a red letter edition Old Testament. Sometimes it'd be nice, wouldn't it? All the words of God to be popping up. Amen. But we have one of the few red letter uh, statements of the Old Testament here. And God spake all these words Saying. And so this should give significance to what was said because God stated these things. And so whenever we start numbering, this is church, this is humanity, this is life. When, whenever we start numbering commandments, we start with verse number 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. But the Talmud of the Jews say that we should start numbering them with verse number 2. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. They say, the Jews say, we don't start that you shouldn't have no other gods before him. We start, we 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 believe we should start numbering it with I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. And the reason why they believe this is because it reminds the Jews, the Hebrew people, if you will, that had been in bondage for hundreds of years. It reminds them that they would not been able to get out of Egypt. They would not have been able to get out of the house of bondage by themselves. Or maybe more importantly, they didn't get out by themselves. It wasn't by, because of their arm of strength or because of their numbers or because of their power. But it is the Lord their God. God that brought them out of the house of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. And so for us today, it's important to also reiterate that for our own lives. We came into the branch, if you will, of salvation, of being born again of water and the spirit. It isn't because of our doing, so to speak, but it was because he brought us out of the house of bondage and out of the land of Egypt. Someone say amen. He helped God of the Old Testament help deliver them from that place of idolatry that served a, a multiplicity of God's. Amen. And God, you will know in Scripture, he speaks no less than 10 times in the Old Testament. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of that idolatrous place. I, bought, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, listen. There was no set regulation. There was no set principle that that they, Israel, could keep that would guarantee that they would be granted freedom. There was not a particular law that they could keep that says, if you keep this law, then you're going to be granted freedom. You're going to have a ticket out of here. No, there was none of that. Because what they needed in that moment, in that moment, listen to me, what they needed in that moment was not a law to keep, but a relationship. all the laws couldn't get them out of Egypt but a relationship with the God of heaven could get them see he's making, a, he's making a statement right here I brought you out of Egypt and then he starts to give them the commandments he didn't say you keep all these commandments and now get you out of the house of bondage no I got you out of the house of bondage you need first and foremost a relationship You need first and foremost me to be your. Everybody say mine. My God. Someone say amen. My God. Did not John tell us in the New Testament Scripture? He tells us that we love him because he first, Sister Jessup, loved us. Almost almost relaying to us that it would be an impossibility for us to even have love toward him had he not first loved us. And so he, the Lord comes saying, I am the Lord thy God, or I am your God. Now, don't you think, think here for a moment. The Lord is speaking. Don't you think everybody knew who was talking? <laughs> you know, Moses standing over there, his lips, you know. Don't you think people understood that this is the voice of the Lord that is speaking? I mean, who else would have it have been? I mean, you know, the Bible describes, uh, you know, the chapter before this, the Mount of God, it, uh, there's smoke, there's thundering, there's lightnings, it's quaking, you know, all this taking place up on the top of the mountain and encircling it. I mean, who in the world could this be? And yet, although it should have been pretty evident who it was, he still states very plainly to them, and I believe underscoring his lordship, wanting to underscore that relationship, amen, I am the Lord your God. And he states that first and he states that emphatically because he is following it up now with commands that are going to be on tablets of stone that he is going to ask his people, amen, to follow through and be obedient to. But listen, he doesn't want them to be obedient just on the premise that these are laws and commands that you need to obey. He wants them to be obedient based upon the premise that he is in relationship. They are in relationship and he's already brought them out of bondage. He's already already brought them out of a depot. And because of our relationship, would you mind to obey these commands? It's not like I'm going to leave you in bondage and I'm asking you to do this, this, and this. No, I brought you out. Think with me for a moment. It, It And I know it happens, brother Fred. But think with me for a moment. If somebody saved your life, your literal life, would there not be a certain level of thankfulness and gratitude? And and I've heard some people say, man, I I just wish there's something I could do for you. Uh Honey, when he brought them out of 400 and 430, you know, years of bondage of, of, hard taskmasters and whips upon their back and making brick and mortar and slime pits and under the hand of oppression. When he brought them out, don't you think for a moment they're thinking man, he just saved our lives. I just really wish there's some way I could be thankful and grateful. I wish there's something I could do for him. And he turns around and says, here are just some commands. Have no other gods before me. Honor your father and your mother. Do not steal. Do not kill. What was that? He's not asking something of them because he hadn't done anything for them. He says, no, I'm your God. God. We're in relationship. This is something personal here. Yeah. And he keeps reminding Israel from that point forward. You know what he reminds them? Usually, a lot of times, I won't say all the time, but most times before he's ever issues a command. Or a desire that he has of them. You know what he always goes back to? I am the Lord your God. You know what he's doing? He's emphasizing the relationship they are supposed to have. He does it. He does it over and over again. Let me just, let's just pick a few of them off the pages. I don't have this in my notes. But Leviticus chapter 19 uh, Leviticus 19 through through verse, chapter 21, uh, there are several, several occasions. You can just start leading your eyes through there, and, and please go there. Leviticus 19, you're going to find several verses of Scripture here where he, 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 he gives a law, and then after giving the law or the command, he underscores the relationship. Leviticus 19, I'm just, I'm just going to pick a few out, okay? Uh, Leviticus 19, I'll, how about verse number uh I don't know. We'll do verse number four to start. Turn ye not to idols, nor make to yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. Look at verse number 10. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of the vineyard. Thou shalt lead them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. How about verse 14? Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind. Thou shalt fear thy God. I am the Lord. Do you see this? Look at verse number 18. Thou shalt not avenge, nor break any grudge. Bear any grudge against the children of thy people. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. You see what he's doing here? Uh, Look at verse 32. Thou shalt raise up before the hoary head, honor the face of the old man, and fear thy God. I am the Lord. Verse 34. But the strangers that dwell with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, that's just in verse that's just in chapter 19. You can go on to chapter number 20 and you can find other episodes of that occurring as well. You can go to verse chapter number 21 and there's, for instance, chapter 21, verse 12. Neither shall he go out of the sanctuary nor profane the sanctuary of his God for the crown of the anointing oil is upon of his God is upon him. I am the Lord. He's stating Some law or commandment, desires and wishes. And then he underscores, I am the Lord. Or I am the Lord, your God. Amen. Because he wants to keep in the minds of the people. You're not doing this particularly just for law's sake. Okay. You're not, these things that I'm asking, you're not doing just for the sake of keeping a rule or regulation. You're doing it for safeguarding a relationship. We can get steeped in the church and start looking at things. Well, that's a rule. That's a regulation. That's a do. That's a don't. Blah, 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 blah. But what you missed is that he's your God. Amen. (laughs) I mean, what parent have not said after the child, after you gave a a wish or desire of a kid, what parent has not said? And they say, well, why am I supposed to do this? And you said, because I'm your daddy. Underscore the relationship. It's not just about keeping a law or command or fulfilling a wish or desire. It's about the relationship. Amen. And so from the very beginning of time, the law, the law, listen to me, the law did not function as a way that God would bring us into a relationship with him. All those, all those commandments, you know, Jews say there's 613 of them. We got a sampling from the ten. But all those 613 commandments, we're not a way. I didn't provide those as a way to bring us into relationship with him. But he did provide them as a way to express that we are in relationship with him. Hmm. To express that we are in relationship with him. So, so we, don't, we, don't, we don't obey, listen to me, to reach harmony with God. We obey because we are in harmony. Huh? We are in harmony. Israel did what she did concerning the commandments of the Lord because they loved the Lord. And they did what they did out of that relationship they had garnered already with the Lord. And so the Lord wants us. The Lord wants us to be in relationship before he wants us to try to be obedient the frustration of some are trying to be obedient and not really stoking the fires of the relationship. Someone say amen, because there's nothing more frustrating than trying to be obedient to law and principle regulation and rule and not be in relationship with the one that you're trying to do all that for. Because when, when you, when you've, when you've, disbarred or sacrifice relationship and are trying to keep all the laws, you will constantly be frustrated. And it will be burdensome. And you'll fail Oftentimes. times because you got the cart before the horse. If you want to get all of that other of the laws taken care of, fall in love with the Lord, unlike anything else. I mean, just fall totally in love with him. I mean, let him just become the main thing of your life. Just, I mean, be totally infatuated, enamored, caught up in a love relationship with him, and you will just, by a byproduct of being in love with him, start keeping some of the desires that he has. Amen. There was a, perhaps can't be illustrated any more plainly than through the eyes, you know, of a child, children teach us a lot if we just listen sometimes. I mean, have you ever had a child that wasn't your own tell you you're not my boss or you're not my dad? <laughs> Isn't that great? No, it's not. But in the moment, it's not great. But You're not my boss. So what they're doing, you know, you, you might and you, you might not. You might have the best of spirit and attitude whenever you, you ask them to do something or not do something that they are presently doing or not doing you know, and, and, and whenever you ask them that or, or, or require them, you know, to do something and they say, you know, you're not my, you're not my boss, you're not my mom. <laughs> what they're doing, they're bucking against your instruction because they don't perceive themselves to be in relationship with you. That parent-child relationship isn't there with them. Now, they might also tell their mom and dad that, too. I don't know. But what I'm saying is this, they probably don't. They probably don't tell their mom or dad the same thing because they recognize mom and dad have that parental relationship with them. And so whenever we get into a relationship with God again, it's easy or I should say it like this, it's easier. Okay, it's easier to obey his law because we do so not necessarily for the law's sake or the regulation or the rule, but we do it for the relationship's sake, the relationship's sake, because we want to please our father, so to speak. So God does not say he doesn't come down again. He doesn't come down. in Chapter 20 of Exodus say, I want you to obey all these commandments and then I'll bring you out of Egypt. Obey all this and I'm going to bring you out of the house of bondage. No, he comes and approaches them. I've already brought you out of the house of bondage. Now, therefore, as a result of that, It'd make all the difference in the world if you would just follow some of these commands. He's not saying, he's not saying conditionally, I love you and I'll save you if you earn it. Someone hear me? He's saying, I have saved you by grace. You've contributed nothing. You've contributed nothing. But if you're going to call me your Lord, and you're going to call me your Savior, and you're going to recognize me as your Father, then I want to show you what my children look like. Huh? Amen. Because of the relationship. I don't know. Is Zach that, that you up there this support? Zach. Whenever you guys were adopted into your family, you know, there were certain things that were required of you after that adoption. Because whenever you entered that relationship of absolute parent-child relationship, that relationship dictated some ways that you're going to act. I'm not my own anymore. I'd still be in bondage if it wasn't for him. And so there's nothing wrong with in abiding by the standards that daddy has set for someone that's going to be called his child. Because listen, if anything goes awry with the child, you know who they're going to? Their parents. My kids go out today out here in this city somewhere and do something harebrained. They're going to get in trouble, yeah, but you know who they're going to be looking for? Who's your dad? Why? Because the utmost responsibility of whatever they have done, especially since they're minors, falls upon me as a parent. And so as a dad, I tell my kids, this is what I expect of you, because in essence, whatever you do really falls right here on me. And we got a family name to uphold. God saying, since you're going to be my children, here's just a few expectations because we got a name we're upholding around here. And if anything goes awry, it's going to come back right here. And I not want you to put no reproach upon the name. It's not just a do or don't, it's a relationship. It's a relationship. Amen. The Apostle Paul summarizes salvation by grace. In Ephesians 2, many are familiar with Ephesians 2 and verse number 8: For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's verse 9, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto, or by say unto, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We're his workmanship. We have been created unto good works. And please note, God has already before ordained that we would walk in those things. So, after telling us that we are saved by grace and not by works, he tells you and I that we are saved by grace and we are saved for or unto good works. We are saved for and unto obedience. We're saved by grace, but we're saved for or unto obedience. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Here's where we see, more than in any statement, that grace precedes the law. There is redemption, and in this case, there's redemption, and then the law is explained. That's the pattern that's found in Exodus. That's the pattern. That is found essentially in Ephesians. Look at it found even here in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 20. We've got a few verses of scripture. Amen, we're doing okay on time. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 20. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, what meaneth the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, we were Pharaohs, bondman in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and the Lord showed shine signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt upon Pharaoh and upon all his household before our eyes and he brought us out from thence that we that he might bring us in to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. Verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. To fear the Lord our God for our good Always that he might preserve us alive as it is at this day. Verse 25. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all these commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded us. Can someone say amen? So the son asks, what about all these statutes, testimonies, and what about all these things and judgments that the Lord has commanded you? And before The father ever addressed the commandments. He addresses the relationship. You see it? Before he starts talking about all the commands, he talks about the relationship. He said, God came in Egypt, brought us out by his mighty hand. He was saying, we didn't have nothing to do with it. He brought us out by his mighty hand. It was by his power that he's done all this stuff. But after he brought us out, he swearing unto us, amen, that these commands and stuff we should keep, amen, always, amen. It will help preserve us and keep us alive. It will be our righteousness by doing these things. So they asked about the command. When they asked about the command, the fathers talked about the relationship and then followed it up with the command. <laughs> We're, we're obedient because of the relationship. We consider him our redeemer. We consider he's the one that has brought us out, has brought us out. Someone say brought us out. He has brought us out. Amen. Interesting enough, whenever we look at just the basic ten commands, if we were to consider that, if you were to look at those order of the ten, the first four deal with man's relationship with God. First four deal primarily with man's relationship with God. And then it's the last six that deal with man's relationship with man. Again, already set up is the honing in on the relationship with God. First and foremost. Amen. You can't even view the commands outside of relationships. Yours with God and yours with your fellow man. It's really all about relationships, right? Because the context and the relationships there is we can't have a good relationship with man if we can't honor and respect a relationship with God. We can't be successful in being a good relationship with mankind if we can't have a good relationship with God. It goes vertical before it goes horizontal. Amen. And so he leads off with those first four, if you will. And so Jesus kind of summarized then the whole essence of the law. Amen. Even beyond the 10, all the commands of the Old Testament in Matthew 22 and verse 37. The Bible says, Jesus said unto him, man that had come asking and inquiring of the Lord about which is the greatest commandment, of the law, you came. Jesus said unto him in verse, Matthew 22, verse 37, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first. And great commandment. No wonder the Jews started numbering with verse number 2 of Exodus 20. Huh? Jesus even says that's the first and great commandment. Loving your Lord. Because everything else is going to spin off of that. Everything else is going to be gleaned from that. He says so you love him with what? All of your heart? Your soul? Your mind? Let's put it in modern day terms. You just love him with everything. Everything you got, you love him with it. Right? This is the first and great commandment. Verse 39 And the second is like unto it thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And on these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. And what everything else hinges on are two relationships the divine and the human. Amen. And so if I'm endeavoring to keep the commands, Then I need to focus on the first two upon which they all hinge, which both have to do relationship. And then when I get in a little more closely there, then I realize I got to look at number one, even first of the two, my relationship with God to be able to get a relationship with man. Then for all those others mm -hmm. it's Kind of like there's just one hook there, right? That's your relationship with God. Hanging off that is another hook. Your relationship with man. And then everything else is just kind of growing up on all of those. Now, let's put you in the place of trying to keep all these commands and you don't have the first two hooks. Folks, you're on the floor. <laughs> you don't have nothing to hinge it on. You don't have nothing to hinge it on. You're on the floor. So, in Exodus 20, he expressed the essence of the Old Testament in. I could say it, the sampling just of those ten statements that Moses would have etched on tablets of stone. And then the Lord even summarized it even just a little bit closely, just with two statements, then and the two statements again have to do with relationship. If we were asked to capture the essence of the whole law. But in one word, that word, according to Galatians, this is what it said. In order to fulfill the law, you had to love. That's the one word it comes down to. It even states that there's one word. You said, and that word is love. Love God. Love your neighbor. Now, is love a positive or a negative concept? Right? Is that a, is that a positive or a negative concept? You can stand for me. I'll, I'll hasten here to a close. Is that a positive or a negative concept? I think most of us, if we were asked that question, we would almost a good majority of people would say that love is a a positive concept when they think of the term love or the idea of love. It is a positive concept. Uh, But in essence, secondarily, it is a it is a negative concept as well. And the reason why and I say this, the reason why is because to love. Love in reality. Especially when it comes to the Lord, love is exclusive. All right. To love is when you when I told my wife I love you dear as a wife then that love was exclusive meaning this there was other some ones or some things that I elevated her above. She would only ever be loved as my wife. There was not another lady. That's what I'm saying. Love was exclusive. Love, love, uh, love was exclusive in that moment. And so it is positive, but if you would call it the negative, what you'd want to view as a negative implication is it means alone. In that relationship of wife, husband, She's all there is. What that means is it doesn't matter really what the desires of another lady is in my life concerning wife, husband, relationship. Because I love Don McGee. And that's exclusive. Doesn't matter what that lady wants. Only matters is what mama wants. And So we're torn sometimes in our living for the Lord, because our love is not exclusive in that relationship as Him being our Lord. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh. because other things does say you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that. You're going here and you're going there, but you forgot. you're in relationship. And that's an exclusive relationship. Yeah. You need to be doing what daddy wants, what daddy desires what daddy hopes, amen, for that relationship. So, yeah, it it is positive. But if there were to be any negative implication that someone might label as negative, we're not meaning bad, but it is the fact that it's exclusive, an exclusive love, amen. And so we do then love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. We can't have a divided allegiance of love in our relationship to the Lord. That's why in the New Testament, he told us very plainly, we can't you can't serve two masters. He's you can't love two masters. You can't be exclusive. If You got more than one. He said you can't be exclusive with your love in that relationship to your God. Now you're trying to divide it up. Huh? God, you can have this portion. Right. Let's make you can have this, this and this, but that over there, that's kind of off. You know, we got the caution tape up over there. You have every area of my life but that. That's not exclusive love. And listen, I'm not talking about law and commandment right there. I'm talking about relationship. Amen. I'm to be in relationship with the Lord. The Lord, everybody say, my God. If you call him yours, then you've already denoted that. In your mind's eye, you have a relationship. And so you got to protect that relationship. you got to honor that relationship. That's a little stout, but you can't call him yours if you're not willing to be exclusive. Amen. Let's bow our heads today. Oh, Father, Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning, and if anybody wants to pray right now from your seat or up here, that's fine today. Lift your voice with mine. Let's talk to the Lord. God, I pray, oh, Lord, today, Jesus, it is you, oh, God. Just as you brought Israel out of bondage, just like you brought Israel, Lord, out of Egypt. God, in our modern lives, you have brought us out of a lot of turmoil. God, in shame, you have brought us, Lord, out of old ways of lives, Lord, to new ways of lives. You, God, have provided the means for redemption and for salvation. I pray, oh God, today, help me, Lord, to identify God, my relationship. God, to be exclusive, Lord, with my love. God, that the things, Lord, that have been asked of me, Lord, are not just out there being asked of me, God without any context of relationship but because Lord you have delivered and you have brought us out Lord I pray God and that we are Lord called Lord your children you're just showing us Lord Jesus God the things God Lord that you require of your children that you ask of your children we have been saved Lord for Lord and unto good works which you have before ordained for us I pray oh God today we need the spirit of the Lord today Help me, oh God, to love you with all of my heart and my soul and my strength. God, to put, Lord Jesus, God, my trust and my confidence in you. Uh, help me, God, not to get the cart, Lord, before the horse. Uh, help me, God, not to try to capitalize on and emphasize, Lord, all the rules and the regulations, the do's and the don'ts, this and that. No, 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 no. Help me to fall in love with Jesus. Uh, help me to fall in love with the Lord. Help me to be sold out just totally in love with him. All those other things will be added all those other things will come Lord as a result of being in a love relationship with my God oh God we want to surrender Lord Jesus unto you you bought us you purchased us God you're the only thing that you ever paid for was your church I pray oh God today Lord we want to live in accordance with your nature we want to live God in accordance God with your name and who you are hallelujah Jesus hallelujah Jesus hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Lord, we honor you, Jesus, today. We honor you, Lord Jesus, today. God, to love you, to love men and women, Lord. To, Lord, these relationships that everything else is hinged upon, Lord, and founded upon. I praise you, oh God. I praise you, O God. I praise you, O God. Glory unto his name. In the name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And the church say amen. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. There will be service here this evening. Amen at 6. Please remember all.